Just four months before his death in late 2002, Mr. Rogers delivered a speech in Houston, Texas to the grant writers for children, youth, and families. And in the opening paragraph of that speech, he said this. The most of this most important philanthropy arises from the deepest levels of our being. That's why every one of us, no matter how much money we have, needs to know that there's something about us that is worth giving. I think that the saddest person anywhere is the person who feels that he or she doesn't have anything of value inside to give. And these words really provide the foundation for where we are going in this stewardship series as we explore what Mr. Rogers has to say to us about giving, about stewardship. That each one of us has something within ourselves that is valuable and that is worth giving. Mr. Rogers' message really comes from this foundation of love. He said that love is at the root of everything, love or the lack of love. And so Mr. Rogers' message is summed up in those three most simple words that we speak to each other in the human experience, I love you. Words that we say to our children, words that we say to those that we love and care about, words that boyfriends and girlfriends say to each other, hoping the other one will will return the same feelings, right? I love you. As you walked in uh, this morning, you might have seen the pins. Hopefully you grabbed one. It has those numbers 143 on it. And it's not some secret code. It's not some combination to all the gold that the church is keeping. No, it's 143. It represents the, the numerology of Mr. Rogers. I love you. In fact, Mr. Rogers was so uh, intentional about this message, and this is a true story, that for his entire adult life, from like the late 50s or early 60s, all the way up to his death, he weighed exactly 143 pounds. Now, I don't know about you, but I could never make my weight reflect any sort of message. I love burritos and pizza way too much for that. (laughs) But that message, I love you, that was Mr. Rogers' most simple and yet most profound message. And it wasn't this sappy, sentimental kind of love. It was a love that looked at the deepest part of a person and was willing to accept them for who they were. There was a song that Mr. Rogers would sing. It was called, It's You I Like. It's you I like, not the way you do your hair, not the clothes you wear, not any of those external things, but the you deep down inside. That's the you that I like. He had this profound ability through the medium of the television screen to make people feel loved for who they were and not for any of the external things that they would have around them. Now, it's easy for us to think that Mr. Rogers is just some children's television show star. Uh, In fact, at one point in his life, Mr. Rogers stopped filming uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and decided he wanted to try try and have the same sort of profound conversations with adults. And that show really crashed and burned spectacularly. It did not work out at all. And so is Mr. Rogers just some sentimental children's television character who helped generations of children and the later half of the 21st century, learn to experience themselves as loved and accepted for who they are. But I started to realize just how profound Mr. Rogers' message actually was, that he has something to say not just to children, but to all of us. 
As I was preparing for this uh, stewardship series, I spent a lot of time reading Mr. Rogers' quotes, watching Mr. Rogers' clips, uh, quotes like these, these, these ones. As human beings, our job in life is to help people realize how rare and valuable each one of us really is, that each one of us has something that no one else has or ever will have, something inside that is unique to all time. Or this one, you are special. You're special to me. There's only one in this wonderful world. When we love a person, we accept him or her exactly as, as is, the lovely and the unlovely, the strong with the fearful, the true mixed in with the facade, and of course, the only way we can do it is by accepting ourselves that way. And so I'm sitting in my office, I'm watching Mr. Rogers' clips, I'm reading these quotes, and I realize that I'm starting to cry, and I'm like, what is wrong with you? You're sitting in your office, you're still new here, and you're crying over these Mr. Rogers quotes. It's the middle of the day, anyone could walk in at any moment. Judy or Diane could walk into your office at any time and see you just blubbering on your keyboard. But in that moment, I think I realized just how profound his message was. That my emotional reaction to this idea of being loved and accepted just as I am that it is a message that I longed to hear, that I needed to hear, that I needed to know that I was loved and accepted on good days and on bad days, on my giftedness and on the days that I was really exemplifying my growing edges. I needed to know that I was loved and accepted just as I was. And I think that that's a message that all of us need to hear. It's not just a message for children, that we are loved and accepted for who we are, just as we are. It's the most basic, ground-level message of the Christian faith, that God loves us without conditions, that we are accepted universally for who we are right now in this moment. And I think that Mr. Rogers could preach that message because he was, of course, a Presbyterian minister, and we Presbyterians love to claim that about Mr. Rogers. He was ordained as an evangelist to television, which was cutting edge for the Presbyterian church then and now. But he preached this message without clerical garb or clerical robes, without ever opening the Bible and saying, this is the word of the Lord, without ever mentioning God or Jesus. He preached this message of unconditional love and universal acceptance. He made that most basic Christian message available to wider culture and generations of children who needed to hear that message, and now those of us who are adults who needed to hear that message found it accessible, that we learned that we were loved and accepted for who we were. And that's the message that Paul gives to us today in the book of Romans. Now, Romans is a little different than Paul's other letters. Paul often writes to communities that he formed. He founded the churches that he often wrote to. And so because he founded these churches, he knows the people that exist within them. He knows the dynamics, and he also knows the dynamics of the conflicts when they arise, because conflict as in the church is as old as the church itself. And so when Paul writes to the churches in Galatia, he's addressing the conflict of some saying that, that Gentiles, non-Jewish people, can't be part of the community unless they become Jewish first, or to the community in Corinth, that community that is so plagued by dysfunction, Paul is addressing uh, those concerns there. But Romans is a little different in the fact that Paul has never visited the church in Rome. 
As you read the letter, there is a sense that he does know some of the people that are there. But really, Romans is a chance for Paul to introduce himself to the community, his, to express his desire to come and to visit them. It's sort of like his letter to the PNC, right? Introducing himself to the church, explaining who he is, explaining the things that he believes. Paul really has this ability in the book of Romans to write down exactly what he believes about the gospel, what he believes about the Christian faith. And this isn't something that he has developed sitting away in an ivory tower. This is something that he has developed on the ground, founding these churches, living in these different communities. Now, the morning Bible study knows this already, but I'm not always the biggest fan of Paul. And I think some of you might agree with me on that one. I think sometimes Paul said things that I wish he hadn't said. Perhaps he didn't mean them the way that we've interpreted him down through his Christian history, but the fact is he said them, and they have been used to, to harm and to marginalize groups of people. And even here in Romans, he says things that I think are sometimes problematic. But Paul also has this uncanny ability to draw us into this grand and cosmic story, the story of cosmic significance of what God's love has accomplished for us in Jesus Christ. And I think that this section of Romans is one of Paul's better moments. He speaks about God's unconditional love for us. He asks rhetorically, will anything separate us from the love of Christ? Will pestilence or plague or, or sword, will that separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ? And Paul says, no. I have often wished that Mr. Rogers was still here during the course of this pandemic. I would have loved to have known what he would have said about love and neighborliness in the midst of a pandemic that, of course, has had effects that are way bigger than just the illness itself. And what Paul says is, is, those things cannot separate you from the love of God that is found in Christ. He says that he is convinced that neither life nor death can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ. Death being the most final thing that we know in the human experience. Is it any wonder that we read this at funerals? And, and Paul says, not even death can separate you from the love of God that is found in Christ. Not the powers, not rulers, not angels, not authorities, Paul says. Remember that Paul and his contemporaries have this worldview where there are spiritual forces that are at work and behind every human institution. And those human institutions can dehumanize and make people feel less value than they are actually given by their creator. And what Paul says is that those institutions cannot separate you from the love of God that is found in Christ. He says nothing that is now and nothing that will come, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ. Not in the moments where you are your best self, not in the moments where you are not your best self. Not in the moments where you are hiding that thing that no one else knows about, that you hide deep within yourself. That cannot separate you from the love of God that is found in Christ. Because nothing can separate you from the love of God, Paul says. And what's amazing to me is that he says that he is convinced of that, that he is convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. He is convinced of God's unconditional love and universal acceptance. Now, I don't know about you, but I think there are moments in my life where I could use a little more convincing of that because I immediately want to start putting conditions on God's love. It's a human tendency to put conditions on God's love. I want to say, well, what about this thing over here, and God says, no, not even that can separate anyone from my lover. What about that thing over here? And, and he says, no, not even that can separate 
anyone from my love. I think that that's why words like this hit so hard, hit us right in our heart. Words about that, that Paul speaks to us are words that Mr. Rogers speaks about God's universal love. Because so often we put conditions on God's love, and sometimes we put those conditions on ourselves, that we are loved only if we do this, that, and the other thing. And so we need that constant reminder. Those words are our salvation to us, a salvation from the idea that we have to do more, to be more, to be more beautiful, to, to make more money, to make ourselves loved and acceptable. Paul says, no, you are already loved and accepted just as you are. That basic Christian message, the message that Mr. Rogers spoke and lived throughout his life, is a scandalous message. The idea that we are loved and accepted just as we are without having to do anything spectacular or amazing. Because not everybody thought of Mr. Rogers as a wonderful person. Some people thought Mr. Rogers corrupted generations of children and gave them a sense of entitlement because they were loved and accepted without having to do anything. Because it's not a very good American idea, right? <laughs> that we are loved, that we are good enough, that we are accepted without having to do anything to be producers in the economy. Someone once said that Mr. Rogers was the most evil man in America. And you might think, why is that a scandalous message? But then, of course, we remember Jesus and the message of unconditional love and universal acceptance that he preached, that he ate with the wrong people, welcomed the wrong people around the table, and decent people said that that's not allowed, and so they crucified him for that message of unconditional love and universal acceptance. And honestly, I want to add some some Christian conditions to this idea of unconditional love and universal acceptance. I want to add a little bit of Christian responsibility to this. Yes, we're loved, but we're loved when we seek justice out in the world, when we care for the poor and the hungry. But what Mr. Rogers says is that no one can become who they want to be unless they learn that they are accepted and loved for who they are right now, accepted for who they are in this moment, and not for what they will be. That we are, we become who we are called to be as we learn to accept God's unconditional love for us. And I think that Mr. Rogers was able to preach this message. I think the reason why he did preach this message was because he himself longed to know that about himself. That he longed to know that he was loved and accepted just as he was. There was, a, in, on Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, a, a place called the Neighborhood of Make-Believe. And the Neighborhood of Make-Believe was not this fanciful place where we went off into fantasy land and nothing real actually happened, but it was a place where real human problems, real societal problems were worked out. Uh, so, for example, Mr. Rogers was known for not shying away from any topic in the Neighborhood of Make-Believe. So, uh, the show kind of started, the first episode of the show was him discussing the difficult realities of the Vietnam War with children. So um, these were real issues. He spent an entire week talking about divorce with kids. He talked about death. He talked about these really difficult issues. So real world problems were worked out in the neighborhood of make-believe. And there were all kinds of characters in the neighborhood of make-believe, including uh, lots of puppets. And one of those was Daniel Striped Tiger, who you can see on the table here. And we'll hear some more from him next week. We also have Mr. Owl up here as well. Uh, but these were the characters that existed in the neighborhood of make-believe. 
Um, and so the thought was, was that Daniel Striped Tiger was actually the inner child of Mr. Rogers that still lived within him. And so Daniel Tiger would voice the things that Mr. Rogers was asking. Uh, you know, Mr. Rogers would ask, you know, what, what are, what's an appropriate way to ask to deal with anger? A question that he struggled with his entire life. And so Daniel Tiger would ask questions about anger. Uh, so there's a, a documentary called Won't You Be My Neighbor? And if you haven't seen it, I would highly recommend it. A lot of what I've said today, actually, I've learned from that documentary. Um, it'll give you a great introduction to Mr. Rogers. Grab a box of tissues, you'll cry the entire time. <laughs> but in that documentary, they show a scene in the neighborhood of make-believe where Daniel Tiger is talking to Lady Abilene, one of the adult characters, or one of the uh, real-life characters in the neighborhood of make-believe. And Daniel Tiger says... I've been thinking about mistakes, and I'm wondering if I'm a mistake. I'm not like anybody else. It's a question I think that Mr. Rogers was asking about himself, voicing it to Lady Abilene. And, and Lady Abilene starts to sing back to Daniel Tiger that he's not a mistake, that she thinks that he's just fine. She's speaking to Mr. Rogers the words that he himself longed to hear, that we all long to hear, that we are just fine, even in those places where we are different from others. And the expectation is, is that as Lady Abilene is singing this to Daniel Tiger, that Daniel would then say, oh, thank you, I feel so much better. But that's not what happens. It becomes a duet where Daniel Tiger is voicing his concern and wondering if he's a mistake, because he's so different than anybody else. And Lady Abilene is singing back to him that he's not a mistake, that he's just fine. It's an incredibly moving scene. And I think it reflects the truth that we all have to deal with when it comes to experiencing and hearing about God's love, that Paul can say that he is convinced, but I think we all still have those lingering doubts from time to time, wondering if we're good enough, loved enough, if we've done enough. And that's when that duet starts. The voice of the divine comes in and says that you are loved just as you are. Mr. Rogers says that philanthropy, stewardship, giving. It begins in this place of knowing that we are valuable and that we have something of value to give. It's easy for us to think about stewardship simply as a transaction. The pastor needs to pay his mortgage and feed his family, so we better figure out what we can give. There's electric bills that need to be paid, so we better figure out what we can pledge. And to think about it just as this transactional thing. But what Mr. Rogers says to us is that we give because we feel like we have something of value within ourselves that we can give, that we are willing to risk and be courageous with that value and to put it into the offering plate and allow it to be used by the community. Because offering, pledging, it is always bigger than just the money. I know that John's sitting here on the, from the finance, and I'm sorry, but it's bigger than just the money. That when we put money in the offering plate, when we give online, when we pledge, we are actually offering our very selves. We are placing ourselves, the valuable and beloved parts of ourselves, into that plate and saying that it can be used to build up who we are as Greenfield Presbyterian Church. And then wider than that, it can be used to help build up the kingdom of God all around us. Because each and every one of us, no matter who we are, no matter what life has thrown at you, no matter how much money you have, how tall you are, whatever. Each one of us is valued and loved and accepted for who we are, that place deep down within us. 
God says, there is nothing that can separate you from that love. And so we give from that place of unconditional love and universal acceptance. Thanks be to God. Amen.